I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello. This is an air conditioner. It's running. It's really loud right now. Thank you for joining us for Season 28, Episode 17 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. It's just us. It's just <laughs> us. It's just <clears throat> us. It's morning. Good morning. Uh. And in this episode, I forgot to write down what's supposed to be in this episode. In this episode, um, Nicholas sends us an, an email about charisma or appearance, or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and we might read a second email. Uh, also from Nicholas, which is a, a, a question about rules, if we get if if we get to that one. Um, but first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And if you want to watch us live, we're on at Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We pro- At some point, we're going to switch back to Fridays, but I don't know when. I haven't decided yet. I kind of like Saturdays. I, it's working out. stressful. It won't work out when fair comes, obviously. But... Nothing works out when fair comes. No. Our no, whole lives kind of are disrupted for dis- a couple months. for two months. Yeah. Um, so, but before we start that, there are, I have a new sort of initiative role question, which is, I'm interested in GMing someday. Where should I start? Sort of like a less urgent version of the of the last one, which is like that last minute advice you'd give someone when they're going to GM for the first time. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm new to role playing games. I, I think I might be interested in GM. What should I, what's, what's the, what's my first step? In, in, in to becoming a GM? Or what's your advice to someone becoming a good GM? It's funny, because my daughter has been... She's self-nerding. She nerded herself, maybe because her dad casts a long, nerdy shadow. But she's dis- she's gotten into role-playing games. She got it, into it in college. Um, started out with magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> that lasted like a minute, and then moved into D&D and some other things. And she had some, some bad experiences. But she's beginning to decide she wants to GM. Now, you know, the world's a little different than it was when we were young when we were kids because the whole internet thing yes but I still contend that role playing games work best when everybody gathers together in a, in a room and plays you can do it online but I still contend that that's the best way to go and I I, I think the best way to start out GMing other than all the drama about learning rules and all of that stuff is to gather is call up some of your friends who are either RPG curious or people that you know are, are role players and throw a little party, just like Stu does, and start with a one shot, or start with a just a simple sort of character gen and uh, and a small story arc that lasts like two or three weekends. That's that's the best way because you get everybody together, everybody's in on it. It's you're basically throwing a little party. You get some drinks, some cheese, some wine, and, and some beer, and you and you <coughs> play a game. It's you can do it online, but it's really abstracted, and you still then you got to reach out, you got to find people, and people are feel more compelled to flake. Because it's not real, um, yeah. That's my. I still say go old school and you know gather four of your friends together and have a little uh, party one evening or you know Friday night. I like that. I was thinking if you're like one of GM for the first time, go out and figure out which system. If, I'm assuming you've assuming you've played, which system you've enjoyed playing the most, and invest in that system. Yep, and just start reading through it. Yep, and because when you're when you're a player, especially <clears throat> if it's a system that you don't play regularly, like if everyone you know you got a table that plays D and D and been playing D and D for years, everyone pro- probably knows the rules pretty well. But if you if you're coming at it from you know 
you know, the, the, the sort of gamers that we are where you play a bunch of different stuff. You know, a lot of players aren't have no fam- real familiarity with the rules apart from what the, they have to do with their particular Absolutely. character. There's right? a lot of stuff that happens under the hood that the GM has to deal with. That it's abstracted. The players don't really know. They just roll dice and look at the GM expectantly. Right, right. Or, they, I mean, they might know what their target numbers are or whatever, but sometimes they don't. Right. So, my, my suggestion is find that system that you like. That you've enjoyed playing, get the rulebook and 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 see what happens, you know, under the hood that makes that makes the thing that makes the thing work. I mean, I, I always, whenever I whenever I'm, I'm reading a new system, first thing I do is I make a bunch of characters. Yeah, three, four, five characters. After that, I have those characters fight each other, and that is a really good way. Yeah, to learn a system because suddenly you find yourself. It, you have to do that because you find yourself going, wait a minute, how. How does how, how does piercing damage work? And now all of a sudden, you, instead of tanking time at the table, you're right. going through and looking for the obscure page with the little sentence on it that talks about how arrows, you know, damage goes decreases every ten feet. Right. But and you never would have found that out until your ranger took a shot on the game, and now you're spending. So yeah, that's invaluable, and <laughs> it's free. You know, it's kind of fun. You're sort of on your own, just rolling up characters and having them fight. It's a uh, to, to me, it's a it's. That's a, that's a good way to approach any any new system. But if you're want like if you're going to start out, I want to be a GM someday. Buy invest in a in a game book because a lot of a lot of players don't. <laughs> they don't have to. They they have a character sheet, and that's pretty much all the information they need. Just a well designed character sheet might have every all of the information you need. So I even knew GMs back in the day that didn't want their players having a monster manual. Oh yeah, I, I can I can see that because they didn't want their play, they want they wanted to describe the monster and they didn't want the people to go oh it's a troll so we got to use fire because it would help reduce metagaming and even just the wonder of the game it's like if, if GM describes a creature and you don't know what it is you don't it's terrifying <laughs> it adds a bit of like what is that thing what do we do oh, which I, is what you would be doing you know yeah I mean. That's one of the like I'm 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 starting the prep for the GURPS fantasy game, and that's one thing that Fourth Edition GURPS does not have is like well they called it a bestiary, but it's a a book of things to fight because GURPS is basically kind of a construction set. Yes, not it ju- is. it's not just a generic game system. It's also sort of a world building system, kind of. Depending on how you make the character, a lot of little parts. There's yes, so um, I, I went through and tried to find um, to see because in the second or third edition there was a bestiary, and then they had had all your typical shit in it: dragons and trolls and orcs. werewolves, all kinds of were creatures, and you know just a typical fodder and orcs and all kinds of stuff that you could you know murder and take its stuff. And, but for fourth edition, they never made that. But I did find something online that had that kind of stuff, some of that kind of stuff. But, it, but the nice, the nice thing is, it's like I went and founded like um, a monster, like a a, a a typical. I want no spoilers. A typical archetypal monster for fantasy games, and I took it and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to tweak it, come make it different, so it's not going to be exactly what you suspect it's going to be. It's going to be slightly different, and maybe that'll make it a little more terrifying. Should reach out to the MOOC. You could probably just info dump like an entire monster manual on you of stuff he's created and oh, has access to. Yes, yeah, someone created this enormous wiki of stats for monsters in GURPS. I bet it was Moog. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, no. I don't know who I don't know who made the thing, but it's it, it's also user contributable. So you've got GURPS GMs from all over who are like uploading their monsters to it, and it's that's great. 
fucking vast. So that's one of the cool things about gaming in this day and age is that kind of resource. Oh yeah, um, and as a starting GM too, that's cool for you, but can also be very overwhelming. Again, I I, I say start small. You know, start with a small party. Start with you know low-level characters, depending on whatever system you're doing, and start with a small group. But although all that stuff is accessible to you, and it can get, it can easily get overwhelming. I get caught up in the world building, and I, I mean, I found myself figuring out rules for how far a horse would travel, and then you have to hobble the horse at night so it doesn't run away. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm getting way too caught in the minutia. You get lost in the weeds sometimes in your world building, which is. Because that's the fun part as a GM. Because that's what you get to do. You get to build this sandbox, and that's the fun thing that, all right, I get to throw all these things in here, yay! And then the players come in and fuck it all up. So, that's another thing, I guess, to be aware of when you're, when you are starting out, um, is keeping it simple. And keeping it, because as much as you want to have fun, you're going to, if you overcomplicate your world and you overcomplicate your game from the start, you're going to make your life difficult. I, I didn't say jerps. I said gurps. I've never called it jerps. <laughs> I have a feeling I know who that might be. <laughs> I think that's someone who used to refer to gibbering mouthers. Remember that? Oh one? yeah, <laughs> gibbering gamers. Right. Uh, uh, RPGM Sean says making characters fight each other to test out a system is an upgraded version of playing with our action toys. <laughs> It is. It's feeling fight. attacked. It's having your GI Joes fight. Yeah. It's having your GI Joes fight each other. You know you're a GM if you actually made stats for each GI Joe before they fought. Right. <laughs> you know, I remember there was a there was a really fun game. I can't remember the name of it. It was a individual level combat game. So like just like a melee combat level game, and it was all it was all um, you had these flip books, Lost Worlds, I think it was called. I think there was an RPG called that. Yeah, it wasn't an RPG. It was just combat, but it was sort of like you remember Ace of Aces, which was the World War One. Yes, uh, dogfighting game where you're like here's the German book. I'll, I'll and yes, it shows you what wow. your character's seeing. Yeah. Wow. This was like that, but it was but it was combat. So like if I if I'm playing like <clears throat> I don't know a French uh, military Well no, it was all it was, it was all old, but it was like it was like I'm I'm playing like a, a Roman legionnaire and you're playing like I don't know a Celt. Something else. Yeah. And we you, you hand each other your books and you've got your stats and then you go through and depending on what maneuver they do and what maneuver you do, then you flip to the right page, and it shows you what happened, and if anyone took any damage. It was really cool. I don't know why I just thought of that, but it just randomly popped into my head. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but it's a choose-your-own-strategy? Yeah, it's like you, you pick which maneuver you're going to make, yeah. and the other person picks the maneuver they're going to make, and then then you... On the list, there's like, go to page 42. Exactly. 42 there's like, a, there's like a, a, a way, I think they're all on the bottom, like if they pick this, you pick this, and then you go to this page. God knows who it was who came up with the way to organize that book in that way so it would work. They should give lessons to current RPG Holy music, fuck. I was looking through Vampire the other day to find just a simple thing like XP chart, and and I couldn't. It's I not listed anywhere. It's in there. You, uh, but yeah, but you gotta there. look for it. I yeah, mean, I the first the first hundred pages is just like like handwritten notes that are all scattered. You're like, I don't need any of this. <laughs> it's all I'm trying to point out oh, the chart. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, like all the yeah all the files like the the uh, Second Inquisition I get files. It. You're in love with your world, and it's <clears throat> awesome, and it is nice to have in there. But for fuck's sake, when you're giving out a resource book, it needs to be just clear, like a page of like all the useful charts that you need that you can you just know what turn I would, to. Well, I would like I would like two versions of the core rulebook: mm-hmm. the regular version mm-hmm. with all their fluff and all their art and fancy mm-hmm. shit, and then I want a technical document. I agree. I want no art. Charts, if you have to have charts, yes, it's nice to have, and then, but and and organize it by like rule type or yes. whatever, so you can say okay, so you have like a table of contents. You don't need to look through the. Yeah. You have a table of contents. So I'm looking for this rule, and you know, and organize it like a technical document would be organized, so you could just go through and find okay, this is the rule, and then, and oh don't gosh. be afraid to repeat the same information in multiple places. Oh it, yeah, like like. When you have character gen, it's okay to have the experience table there. It's also okay to have the experience table later on under experience. It's also okay to have the experience table right. at the end, like in, with a bunch of charts. It's okay to have it multiple times. Don't just hide one small table in the middle of the book somewhere once. Right. Uh, well, oh, if you got important tables, started. important tables, those go on the inside of the covers. There sh- I mean, right? There should be in multiple places. <clears throat> I don't even mind if it's like in the middle of the book. Is maybe it's in red. So you like you look open up the, you see the red edges of the book. There are all your tables. Whatever it is. But you, you know, I've they're they're <laughs> mentioning the fact that Cortex Prime is kind of a cluster when it comes to organization. You're right because I just got a copy of that a couple weeks ago because Jim mentioned it when we had a barbecue. Uh huh. And I'm like, I want to. Look at this. So I was, so I ordered. And Kimmy, of course, it was immediately like, "Oh my God, you're just starting a new campaign. Don't buy a new game book." <laughs> you're such a mom. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just, it's for research purposes only. And it, I mean, it's nice. Like the the beginning part of it is real good when it like gives you the sort of the basics of how the mechanics work. But then, it, but it's, it, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, a RPG system construction set. So it yeah. starts out with a basic, no, very basic mechanic, and then there's a bunch of add-ons you can do later on to make it, you know, more of what you want. I all I know is that I haven't run into an RPG yet that's very well organized. GURPS isn't too bad because it's so many small pieces. They know that and they organize it in various places. But Vampire's a nightmare, no pun intended, to to navigate your way through. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings has the same problem a vampire does: is they're so in love with their world and so in love with their fluff. You have to you have to sift through, through a bunch of crap. And sometimes to get it's to the even rules, on the same right. page. Sometimes there's like an entire paragraph, you know, of, of some poem next to your experience tables, and you know, it's like you're taking up valuable real estate. And I have to like all of them. Okay, even early D and D is still kind of a nightmare. Organized the later editions, I it's gotten third, way better. Third was pretty good because you could at least open up. The back and everything was there, and you could find what page you needed the stuff on. But it's just—it really bothers me that for again, this ties in with GMing. As a GM, knowing where to find the thing that you need shouldn't take a lot of work. It should just be really. Oh, let's look that up. Oh, here it is. Why why is it? Why is that so hard? Right. Um, RPG Sean says that one thing he really likes about the GURPS books is the cross-referencing in the text. It's like a paper version of a wiki. And it yes. is. And the nice thing is, the other books are too. Yeah. So it, it'll tell you, <clears throat> like if you're in, like let's say the horror book, and there's like, uh, and the, the person needs to make a fright check. Fright checks are, are, are in basic rule, uh, yeah. page number, blah, blah, blah. They do that all the time. But, okay, at least that's better than, than uh, please see chapter that associated with fear checks. 
Right. No. It, no. Uh-huh. In, in GURPS, they actually will give yeah. you like because B me, B means basic set, so it's one of the two books, and the two books, the page numbers are are consecutive. So it starts on page one, and then by the time you get to the second book, you're on page three hundred and twenty-eight, and then it keeps the numbers keep going. So they consider that one volume, and and it's just and then it like if it says M. 312, well, they don't have the 312 pages in Magic Book, but let's say M126, you go to Magic, page 126, and that gives you whatever spell, or, yeah. The, you know, the organization any, for that book is superior. Any game companies out there, you guys want to just, not necessarily money grab, but one more thing to add to your, to your to give you money, is to make a GM-only book full of the charts and pertinent information, and so it's like a really, really glorified thick GM screen. You could even include graphics for GM screen that people could print up on their own. But have all the stuff that the GM needs easily organized, so that like they don't have to go through all the fluff to find the rule that they need. Um, you could even do it for players too, just stuff that they need, because it is so frustrating to buy the big sixty-dollar book and spend twenty minutes looking for one rule. You know, it stops your game, it stops the fun, and as much as the fluff is interesting to read once, that's it. You're done with it. Once you read all that fluff, now you got to sift through it. It's so frustrating. It is. So uh, maybe maybe players should make websites that just deconstruct and find all the rules and bring them up there. And see, I think if you started out with your your basic rules in like in like a system reference document because mm-hmm. they have that they have that for Pathfinder or like that, <clears throat> and that's like here's where all the rules are going to be. If we change a rule, we'll go on this web page or whatever and and modify it. So you know this is this is the thing you look at if there's errata or something like that. And, and just make it put all of the rules in one place Please. without all the rest of the I shit. Know. I would love that. And even just keep the graphics simple. Because the other thing sometimes is you'll you'll come upon a really fancy book and the and the printing is really small or it's in some flowery font. And you're like, I really Or it's on a really busy background, so it's, it's hard a, to read. Right. Yeah. It's like I'm a GM. I don't need my hit point or you know, my, my attack table in in runic cuneiform. <laughs> I just want to be able it's to a, read it. <laughs> the New World of Darkness mage book. It's yes. almost unreadable. It's almost exactly. I didn't want to call them out. It's but like yes. gold. It's, some of it is like gold print on, on like a parchment background. It's like, could you? Yes, you could make it harder to read. It is possible that you could have made it harder to read. And who is that you for? You could have like a red page with red ink. Well, who are you doing that for? <laughs> At that point, it's masturbation for you. Because the GM is just going to get pissed off. Like, like the first time, oh, this is really cool. As you're reading through it. After the fifth time, you're looking up the rule, like, this is pissing me off. You're only doing it for you, the publisher, because you think it's fun and fancy. You're not doing it to make to be clear for the GMs and the players. Right. It's just masturbation at your point. On your point. Well, we're going to use up money from our Kickstarter. Let's make it all gold ink. <laughs> Don't. You're not helping anybody. I probably picked gold ink because it was cheaper. You got a deal on it. <laughs> uh, do you want to read the email? Yeah, from sure. List? Anyway, I don't know if we answered your question. Get there was no question. Small apart. Get a party. Or a party and <laughs> fight your friends. There was no question. There you go. Go. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Hala hala hala. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas, I did. Hala Ala Harfagrar. Yeah, but the R would be silent. It's Norwegian, I think. There's so R's are silent in Norwegian? Yeah. Are they? Oh. Uh, sometimes. Hala Ala Hafaga Jack Jack is. Sorry, Nicholas. You're going to have to put translation there even. He has a little circle over the A. Yeah. What do they call it? Umlaut? No, Umlaut's two little dots. Is it a. Schwa? 
Anyway. I don't know. Let's talk it's a little circle. Let's talk about being good RPGers. Uh, <clears throat> I'll start again. Let's talk about being good looking. RPGs are all about play pretend, and that's in quotes. Many want to play the main character of a Hollywood movie. Perfect teeth and a square jaw. This is seriously a huge problem for some reason. To shatter this belief, some games make beauty into a trait. It costs XP to have the privilege of being good looking. That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> uh, another common way to gamify the hot or not score is to make it directly correlate to charisma. This is the actual benefit of messing with min-maxers who dump static charisma. Much to their chagrin. What? It means something? Uh, far less popular is to make beauty a balanced aspect of a character. To add some negatives to all the positive. Maybe a beautiful face stands out more in a crowd, or at least is more memorable when the police are questioning witnesses. Maybe it's harder to keep a low profile at a bar when the waitress keeps returning with refills while asking if there is anything more she could do for you. Wink, wink. I added that. I'd love to hear what uh, love to hear what you beautiful bastards have to say. If you aren't experts on the topic, I don't know who are. Aw, you had me at hello. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> Beautiful bastards. Um, <clears throat> I've always, I've always liked the way Gerps does, does this thing. It's, uh, there, it's there's no, there is a <coughs> charisma advantage you can take. Your stats don't have anything to do with what they did. Intelligence, dex, health, and strength. Those are those are your stats in the game. There's no real social aspect to it whatsoever. <clears throat> so. There are you can t- you can purchase with character points levels of attractiveness, mm-hmm. which give you in certain circumstances will give you benefits, but mm-hmm. can also be a, a negative under certain. Like he mentions the fact that, you, like if you, if you take four or five levels of attractiveness, you probably don't have a forgettable face. <laughs> and that's that could be, and that's also going to you know sort of change what sort of character you might make. But it could be the same... The opposite is also true. If you're so horribly disfigured, you're not forgettable either. That's true. Well, I think anytime you get... Like... Because you can buy attractive or unattractive. Yeah. Unattractive is a... Is a is disadvantage. A, a, a disadvantage. You get points for every level you take. And and so, you know, I think anything away from sort of the... Like the center of the bell curve for that sort of thing is going to get memorable. What's funny is that they should both have the same advantage because being disfigured could be an advantage. You want to intimidate the pawnbroker, you show up with your scarred up face and your, and your Scar- yeah, yeah, and they're like, you know, okay, I don't want to fuck with this dude. You know, they don't have to know that you were mauled by a cat when you were a kid, you know, and you're actually a nice guy. But your physical looks can 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 affect ad- both adversely. If you're really good looking or have an innocent baby face, that pawnbroker is going to want to take advantage of you. No matter, you know, if you look like Bernadette Peters or something, you know? They're going to, oh, oh, you little child, you don't know any better. It could be a complete and total disadvantage to be attractive. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, under under certain circumstances, yes. But there are also, I mean, like, the way it works in GURPS is you have a, what's what's called a reaction roll. Like, it's, when someone meets you for the first time, you're going to have, you're going to have a, you roll 3d6 and that basically sort of helps determine wh- what this person thinks about you generally speaking and you get pluses or minuses depending on the advantages or disadvantages that you took right on that roll. I'm shocked that there's a mechanical advantage attached to a trait in groups well, shocked of course, I tell right. you well well not not really a trait because it, it's not it, it's 
And that's the other thing, is it's split up into a bunch of different things. There's mm-hmm. attractive and unattractive, but there's also charisma, which is a personality trait. It's not a physical uh, physical trait. Let me, let me stop you right there and sort of maybe give you a quick definition of charisma for me. And this has taken me a while to figure out, but working in Hollywood... You run into these people, these stars, right? And and you know they're stars, but but even when they're not like on camera and they're just hanging out, there's this thing about them, and I call it charisma because there's no and and like the Timothy Spall is a, is a great example. Timothy Spall is a character actor. He has been in Sweeney Todd. He's been he played uh, the ratty guy in, in in Harry Potter, and he's a very ugly, weird looking dude. And yet, you can't take your eyes off him. Whenever he's on camera, it's his mannerisms, it's the way he goes, it's the way he carries himself. And we've all run into people like that that just, you can't tell you what it is. They're not even particularly attractive. They just have this charisma, this thing, this Hollywood, they call it Je the, ne sais quoi. They call it the <laughs> it factor. It's like they just have it. And that's charisma to me. It's that vibe. I don't know. I don't want to get too woo woo about it, but we all know those people that they just, like, they walk into a door and all eyes turn to them. And it's like this, it's like, I, what is it about them? What is it? Well, it's this weird And it's charisma. not attractiveness. It's not, it's, it, no. Because there are people who are who, who no one would consider physically attractive who still have this sort of aura, you know? Je ne sais quoi. You know, I know. It's really woo-woo. But if you really think about it, we all have a friend that's that guy or person or woman. Um, and sometimes they're attractive. But, yeah, sometimes they're just average looking. But for some reason... Everybody gravitates around them. It's a weird thing, um, and a lot of them end up being entertainers because you know they just can't help. A lot of them also end up becoming outside salespeople. Well, yeah, there's I, that could, too. Could you, or they, lawyers. They, you, some of the most successful salespeople are these people who will come in and they they can sort of and it's and, and it's 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 not just them. It's I think there's some. Like learned skills involved in it too, because they know they know how to sort of insert themselves in the conversation, like without you even noticing that they've inserted themselves in the conversation. They do it so effortlessly; it doesn't seem like an intrusion. Like if I'm sitting in, you know, for the shop and I'm talking to someone, we're having a conversation about something. The sales rep walks in. Half the time they're like, "Oh, what you guys talking about?" And it's like, you just, you know, you just, you just ruin the vibe. And then someone else will walk in and listen for a couple minutes, and then all of a sudden they'll like sort of. Just sort of very effortlessly insert, and I don't know how it is that some people can do that and some people can't. And there, I, I, there's another aspect of this. I, I don't want to talk about myself about it, but I kind of have a little bit of that, and it's what I used to call the weirdo magnet. <laughs> if I go to a party and there's a sociopath at the party, I don't know how, but they end up talking to me. They're there. Hey, I learned, and I'm like, and I have to get away from them. You know, Stu is able to like just he's Stu is a very charismatic guy, and yet he can turn it off and disappear, and I'm stuck <laughs> talking to the dude for the rest of the day. I think that's they because get attracted to me. I think that's because you're the same height as the width <laughs> of, of the blue tarp they have in their trunk. <laughs> but again, we all know that guy too. He's like, it's just it's it's the weirdo magnet. They walk into a party or they walk into a room, and everybody like, I want to talk to them, right? And I can't tell you what it is they do. Um, anyway, that's so charisma is that vibe, that thing, and, and I think weirdness magnet is actually a GURPS disadvantage. A weirdo magnet. Okay. I, I, think it's I love that. Weirdness magnet. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, there's a lot of aspects to what makes an, a charismatic slash attractive person, and like in D and D, the stat charisma doesn't have to be attractiveness. No, it could be this sort of you know 
indefinable thing that some people have that other people don't. It, it's it's an amalgamation of charm, uh, body build, because there is no stat for like how physically how you know how you how ripped your abs are. There's nothing for that. So charisma is like this amalgam of all of that. In D&D. Or, or in some cases, none. You could make a char- very charismatic character who is ugly. You, absolutely. I mean, a lot of character actors are ugly people. John Goodman is not necessarily an attractive dude. He's a big, loud, and he works all the time. And yet, he's again, he's got that charisma. You can't... Whenever John Goodman's on the screen... Oh, yeah. He's like the best thing you've ever seen. And he looks... You know, he looks like... Everybody's uncle. <laughs> even when he's even is playing sociopath in, in uh, uh, Barton Fink. Well, I was thinking of the Big Lebowski. Yeah, Market Zero. You're out of your league, <laughs> Donnie. You shut the fuck up. You're out of your league. <laughs> so, I know it's it. So anyway, yeah, it's it's an undefinable. It is, um, and. With GURPS, because it's it's all it, you can break it down. I, here's here's the thing, though. If you're talking about just being good looking, really, that's more of like a trapping, because it, it, it you might have. I'm I'm going to pick on Adam for a minute. All of Adam's characters have really great abs, right? But that's not necessarily ever really seen, especially if you're wearing a lot of armor or robes or whatever, right. you know. And you know, it's really more of just like to make you happy that your abs are great, right? And you know, you can have great abs and still not be a really attractive person. <laughs> sure, you could you could be a garbage person and that radiates from you and still have great abs. Right. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer probably had great abs. <laughs> <laughs> Although, here's the interesting thing about serial killers like that: Jeffrey Dahmer was apparently a very charismatic, very uh, even cult leaders are very charismatic people, and yet they're scary as fuck. You know, they're. Even con men have great charisma. Oh yeah, and they—they're not nice people. Sometimes they're even really good looking. It's kind of a prerequisite. Oh, the, what's the? Who's the? Uh, there was a, the, the other one that traveled around a lot. The I'm talking about the serial killer. Yeah, you know who I'm thinking of? The Green River Killer. No, this is a real famous name, and he would—he was—he he was in Florida, but he went all over the place. Oh God damn it! I can't remember his name. Macy. No, no, he went. Macy was all in. All in New York, wasn't it? I don't remember. I can't it doesn't. Remember it doesn't matter. A lot no. of those serial killers are very charismatic dudes. Yes, they they're able to charm their way into your confidence, and then you end up in a body bag or buried under a house somewhere. And I don't like to make light of it, but they. It is again. It's it's uh, an interesting aspect of what it is that. Allows people Ted to... Ted Bundy. Okay, yes, Bundy. See, I get Bundy and Dahmer kind of mixed up. They're kind of... Like, even in my mind, they kind of look the same. Okay. Bundy and who? Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, that looks very different. Dahmer was going to get eight people. Yes. Okay. Ted Bundy, I think, just killed them. Yeah, yeah I... But in my mind, I get okay. mixed up. I know that there's a difference, and I know I know what they were did. I just in my mind, they they kind of look the same to me. I think I learned about them around the same time. I know they're not the same, but I may I may cross the streams a couple of times when it comes to their various crimes. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sure this is taking a very dark turn, but I, I use it to illustrate the point that charisma and and looking good. Isn't necessarily a good thing, and it can. 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, you know, the, the other aspect of, of, of charisma, and I think, is like when you've identified someone as a bullshit artist. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And and there there are people who almost rely too heavily on their this sort of natural ability to get people to like them, and they kind of know it. Mm-hmm. And then they start exuding almost like too much confidence. You're a little smart, like get a little mm. get a little slimy. Again, con men—that's their whole thing—is charisma. They the, con is short for confidence, man. I mean, that's the whole thing. They want to get your confidence, so they do and say and look the part to do whatever you want. And the you know history's full of people that have built. Millionaires out of money, or women into relationships, or yeah, it's awful. So, uh, a, a prerequisite to be a con man would be a really high charisma because you're able to charm yeah, anybody. Absolutely. Either that, you, you either need that, or you have to have a skill set that can can replace that. I would think. So, okay. Thank you, Nicholas, for the email. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I always treat appearance as just a trapping. <clears throat> it's just. That's what you look like. You can be good looking. You can be horribly disfigured, and, and then, you know, again, again, it depends on the game system. If there's a mechanical advantage attached to it, that needs to be defined, you know, because and, and it can get weird. Just to belabor the point, just a little bit more, it can get weird. You have, you have to have the same set of rules for everything. If you have a if you have a bard in your group <clears throat> and maybe a sorcerer, and they're charisma based, and they actually have to make rolls. To affect the way people see them, then you need to make the other characters make those rules too. You can't just have your barbarian come in and be able to to talk his way out of a fight while you're making your bard and your sorcerer roll because because they actually have to they have powers attached to that stat. Oh yeah, and it, charisma is often a double is often dismissed or or hand waved if there's no mechanical advantage to it. It's just like, uh, what's your charisma? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you, you can, you can talk to the barmaid. Uh, oh, you're a sorcerer. Make a, make a charisma roll for me. A sorcerer might be charisma based. So some <laughs> sorcerers are. I'm just saying that it, it is. It, it bothers me that if you make a, if you make a class that is charisma based, that the rest of the party isn't rolling charisma checks, but you are. Um, you need to make everybody make the same charisma checks to do a similar thing that you're doing. I, I, I get it. A sorcerer casting a spell based in charisma is one thing, but to just, I don't know. I, I see that there's a double standard when it comes to charisma in yes. parties. That's it. Okay. Um, should we do, do the other email? I'll read the other, I'll I'll read the other one. It. Okay. It's quick. Uh... Uh, we made a we made the switch, and Fourth Edition Warhammer Fantasy RPG is wonderful. My friend and notorious min maxer soon realized it was far less deadly than earlier versions. Uh, thus began his quest to make an unkillable character. GM, being no stranger to homebrewing, soon had tweaked the rules, making it, this taunting shield bearer completely useless in combat. Drama ensued. Question: Thoughts on tweaking rules as you go? Need it be need it? Does there need to be a discussion? Uh, and surely the GM has the final say. I disagree with that. We've talked about this before, and and even though the game seems imperfect to you, a lot of these rules have been road, t- road tested and are there for a reason. And you start fucking with one, it affects other things. Or you start ignoring one or taking liberties with one, it suddenly it will affect uh, the way other things work throughout the game, you know, the world system. Again, let's say, take charisma for example. You know, if you start ignoring the charisma checks, suddenly the person with charisma based powers doesn't 
you know, I spent points on this, and you guys are just hand waving everything. God damn it! Right. Um, that only because it's in my mind. Um, you need to honor these rules, and if you're going to change them, you need to look very, very carefully about how it works in that game system, or what else. You know, it's a domino. So you knock one down, and something else down down the line doesn't work. Right. We had when we were playing fourth edition D and D. None of that is was AP'd. Um, we did. Uh, I was talking with Tappy about changing because combat was taking fucking forever, <clears throat> and we t- wanted to come up with some sort of house rule that would allow us to like just shorten combat without ne- necessarily killing a bunch of characters. And I think what we came up with, and we never, never, we never implemented it. Was like if you your character and we I, I I don't remember if we had similar if we had a similar system for mo- monsters I think we did but the idea was that um, like if you take a, an an amount of points equal to your constitution you're you're like knocked out at one it by one attack <clears throat> and. We were we talked we had a conversation outside after we we played played the session after the session was over I asked everyone about what what do you guys think about doing this and someone was playing a character who was con I don't remember what they were playing but they had a particular feat and it said that and the way we had set it up it said this feat basically now becomes useless for some reason. I don't remember exactly what the feat was and how it interacted with that, but it basically would have negated the fact that it existed. And the, the guy, the, the player had kind of built his character around this concept mm-hmm. within the construct of the rules the way they were written. So we ended up not doing it. And that's one of the one of the problems is there's going to be unintended consequences to any mm-hmm. rule change you make. I have another problem with this email, not, not you, and your email, but the fact that You've got a table where you've got a notorious min-maxer who wants to make the unkillable character, and then you've got the GM who's going to like change the rules to foil that character. Mm. This is like World War II when Nazis are fighting Stalin. It's like are you, you, you might, do, you're going to root for one side or the other, but you still feel dirty. Because there's no real, I don't see any heroes in this situation, and, and, if, if, and I don't mean to like. If, if, you, if your max is doing one thing, and then your GM is countering, you're still you're still at at ground zero again. I mean, you're still at where you were. You it's just a have fight. fucked up all the rules. It, it, just it's, go it's, back to where you were. It's like a it's like a passive aggressive fight between these two people who probably shouldn't be in the same gaming group and, to begin with. And you're not accomplishing anything. <clears throat> it's. So you know he elevates and then you counter. He elevates and you counter. And you're still you're still at, the, at an input. You're still at where you were. You're just elevated and b- broken a bunch of rules for everybody else. I I get it. That's what min maxers like to do, right? And it, certain game systems encourage that. I mean, I certainly discovered that with 4E that if you don't optimize your character and you don't and you don't take all the you right made feats, your character wrong. You made your character wrong. <laughs> you know, it it can get it can get. Awful, and then I also I also feel for the GM. Like we we took like eight hours to do one combat once or something. And it wasn't eight; it was like four hours or something to do a combat in one game. And at, at oh, some it point, was more like six. At some point, it was throw, a long time. Throw up your hands, exasperated. <clears throat> There's got to be a way to fix this, right? 
it isn't necessarily broken, it's just not good. <laughs> That's the way the rules are written. They're there for a reason. It's hard. And there are maybe are some workarounds and stuff, and, and tweaks, but you have to be you have to be very careful and very clear about why you're doing it. Yeah, well, somebody. Well, it was. I think it's, I think it's Kimmy says it was eight, like eight <laughs> hours. It, it, it was, wasn't it? And it was, and I, that's when I actually I sort of took a deep dive into the game mechanics, right? In fourth edition, I'm like, how can I make like a really challenging, really frustrating combat for the players? <clears throat> and I basically had you fight all controllers. Yeah. And I figured this way I can separate. Again, they can. They're going to go after the healer, and they're going to take the healer someplace where they. And it's, it's going to be a large enough map where they can get the healer someplace where they won't be able to get to him, and they won't be able to help each other. And it was horrific. It was a horrific fight. I mean, it was the most challenging fight you guys ever had. That was the exploding skeletons, right? No, it was the guys that would grab onto you and drag you away. It was the one where your guy went down the wrong. That was the exploding skeleton one. That wasn't Exploding Skeletons. Okay. Exploding Skeletons was a different one. That one was also amazing. But it wasn't just because... Now she's saying it's just because one person went down a hallway. <laughs> That's not why. That's a, what, the, the fight would have been horrific anyway. It would have been... It, it, it may not have taken eight hours. I know. It's just funny to pick on me. It actually may have, <laughs> taken, it may have taken longer. Because of the fact you got all, because you going down the hallway got all of them involved at once rather than one doing them one at a time, which might have actually taken longer. And you did ultimately win. Yes. But nobody, nobody wiped out there. The blo- exploding skeletons, I, just for summary, the exploding skeletons, Stu picked a monster, sounded really cool, but it turns out that when they explode, they, they do damage, they do like an area effect damage. And if the skeletons are all standing all, next to each other, and they were, <laughs> they'd start taking damage. So basically, he had a chain reaction of like, Ten skeletons explode after one guy hit them. I think it was Casey. only like four. It was like Casey hit one. He hit they and all killed went one up and then and killed him. And he he, he ended up shrapnel. Yeah, he ended up taking enough damage to kill his character. Yeah, they had like bone shrapnel, just like like oh yeah, it's like boom, 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 I don't boom. remember what they were called, but they were actually like lifted right out of the monster. Yeah, or one of the because that that book had like that that game had like three months. And it might battles. even have been Casey that goes. Are they are they all close enough? Are they taking damage? And your eyes lit up and went, yes, yes they are. And the next thing I know, Stu's rolling and all the skeletons are exploding one after the other. And Casey's just, t- 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 he took like 20 hey, dice of damage or something ridiculous. It was sick. It was. And we were all like, well, after that it was easy because they were gone. <laughs> Casey died. Anyway. But I mean, <clears throat> that, that, e- that email indicates to me that there's a, a problem a, a a group problem, yeah. Um, because if you've got a min maxer, that that I mean, people play role playing games for different reasons, yeah. and they want to scratch different itches. And this guy's got a got the rules itch, and he went like, "I want to see if I can exploit the rules and find the loopholes in the rules, and see if I can create, you know, like a super powerful character." Because it's you know, it's it it's it's a, there is there is a, I get that it's kind of fun, right? You know? I mean, on the on a meta game level, it's something that people do. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily find that fun, but they there are people that like want to find rules exploits. Sure. There's that, but then there's also the the guy's got an empowerment fantasy. He wants to make a character that's not killable, right? Yeah. And that's and that's not the same. Those are two different things. And one, I mean, you could make you could make a character where the character's like, I want to become unkillable. That's cool. I I, I I get that concept, right? Especially if you're in a, a, a you know a crazy ass game like Warhammer, and where you could totally end up doing something like that. 
And that kind of player has his place, or her place, or their place in a game, in some game somewhere. But now, but now you have a GM who's like, I'm going to change the rules so that you can't do what you're trying to do. Bec- even though I know this is what you're trying to do, and I know that this is part of your fun, I'm going to abuse my GM fiat to change the rules on the fly. And, and like his question, like thoughts on tweaking the rules as you go? Yes, you can do that. you got to have 100% buy-in from your players. If you don't have 100% buy-in, then making that change is a bad idea. Now, if you find like, if you find a rules like an, a, a real exploit, like you find something where it's like the win button, like they're like yeah. you figure out there's a combination of things that they didn't find in playtesting that it's like oh if this happens it's impossible for me to not hit and do maximum damage every time. Yeah. Or, you know this weird combination of rules that never came up during playtesting that someone figured out. You find something like actually broken, yeah, you got to you have to address that somehow. But if you're just talking about someone someone who is using the rules to make the best character that they can, that's not a necessarily a bad person that you have the right to like I'm going to change the rules on you because I don't like the fact that you're doing this thing that you're doing. Yeah, you're winning my game. Yeah. Right, right. And so in that situation, I, like I said, I don't know if there's a hero in that story. <laughs> if, if if you, for whatever reason, need to change a rule on the fly, that rule is permanently changed. You can't just capriciously decide that that's going to be just for this that, that moment this rule has changed. That's like, all right, that's now canon for the rest of this right. game. And the, and the problem with doing that is then you may find out later that this rules change that you made now affects something else that you guys didn't and, and anticipate. That brings me back to where I am. But it's like if you are just as a GM capriciously changing rules to fit the situation, and then they go back, they revert back to where they were before. That dude, that's a dick move. Now you're just being a vindictive GM, and you are you are you know doing shit to fuck with your players, right? Or one them. specific player, or one specific player. And it's like if if. if and it's like, it's like they're having this fight between them, and it, where are the rest of the other players right. doing this? And, and yeah. how much enjoyment are they having? Oh, they're at it again. Right. I'm going to go get a beer while you guys sort this out. So anyway, his other two questions: need, uh, Does it need to be discussed? Yes. Yes. And surely GM has the final say. No, GM does not have the final say. No. <laughs> it has to. If you're going to change the rules of the game that you all have agreed to play, everyone has to buy into it. Everybody has to buy in. If and also here's another thing that bothers me because it, it happened in a couple of our games. If you are that guy, the rules lawyer, Min Max or Grognard, and you have a rule exploit that you discover, don't stop the game to discuss it with your GM in front of everybody else because that'll go on for 20, 30 minutes, and you know the GM's. Take it, take it away from the table. You and the GM can discuss it, and maybe that rule can get implemented later. But don't stop the game because I that bothers me the most. I'm like, why are you arguing with me for 20 minutes right now? Everyone else is sitting here. You couldn't have picked this out now, or can we discuss it? It's you are taking away everybody else's fun so that you can be the center attention to to point out a syntax error that you want to exploit. F you, right, right. And and I think as a GM, you need to say, I under, I hear what you're saying. Let's finish this session and we can talk about it later. For now, the rules are going to as they stand. I understand that this combat might be awkward for you at that point. We will work it out. But we're not going to spend 45 minutes discussing a syntax error in front of everybody else right now while we're doing this game. 
you know, after this, maybe, and then we'll bring it to the. T- then you bring it to the table and say, he pointed out this syntax error that can be interpreted this way. Do you guys all agree that it's that way or this way? All right, if that's this way, this is the way we're going to interpret it from now on. All right. Done. Yeah, I I've been in that game. Oh yeah, where so somebody's have I. going through the rule book so and and they say, oh, you you did this wrong at this point because of this period in the sentence, and you're like, oh god. And the problem shut is, up. a lot of the people who do that, they do wrong stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking, might be talking about the same person. You've seen the guy for that every time a GM makes a decision, they grab the rule book and they start looking, <laughs> either for an exploit or just to double check to make sure they're doing it right. Right. And it, oh my god, it takes away from everybody else's fun. Yes, it does. All right. Thank you again, Nicholas. Yeah. The, Brings up some good uh, good talking points. But yeah, in that situation, I don't think I, I, I'm not on either of their sides. I think they're both both not not not. I like to, not being good. I like to think of a rule system. It's a, it's a game engine, right? It's just like it, it's just like you know a video game. They make an engine, and your little RPG system is an engine. And if you <clears throat> if you don't know anything about cars, you're not going to open up the hood and start pulling out hoses and things just because they look ugly. You don't know what they do. Right. And, you know, you're like, well, this thing's really noisy, so I pulled it out. Well, dude, that was your alternator. Your car isn't really going to go very far without it. Well, that's alternator. all the cooling system. Now you're going to get about 40 feet and it blows up. Now all these hoses. <laughs> well, why'd you take them out? Well, they looked ugly. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my wife didn't like them, so I took them out. You know? right. I, but, uh, one of my passengers was complaining really loudly about how the hoses were hissing, so I took them out. <laughs> you know, you can't start pulling shit out of your car without knowing what they do. Really knowing what they do. You know? Well, every time I stepped on this pedal, it squeaked. So I went down there and I took them all off and now it doesn't squeak. Well, now your car doesn't stop. That was your brakes. <laughs> Sheesh. Anyway, that's that's kind of how I look at a game system. Is it, uh, people that are smarter than I and have spent more time with it have hopefully <laughs> worked out all of the kinks. Right. And we as nerds tend to think, well, I'm smarter than the game designer. I design games. I'm going to I'm going to fix this rule because clearly it's broken. Sometimes that's true, but I like to think that for the most part those rules have been worked out for a reason. That's sometimes true. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, world building. World we're building. Do- we're, we're 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 very slowly building a world by building people and places and things and concepts. In it, it's a fantasy world, and Stork has a new thing. I do. Uh, it's kind of based on a, again a series of books and things. It occurred to me that in your magical fantasy world, there are a lot of people that maybe have low level magic. They that don't that isn't enough to like go to a wizard school, or isn't enough to <clears throat> to want to go adventuring, or and or there might be people that have a high acuity for ma- magic, but they don't want to go adventuring. They're married. They've spent their time in the city. Whatever reason, not everybody wants to be a gypsy. I mean, if you think about an adventure, it's kind of like being, you know, a truck driver or something. It's like you got to leave town, or you got to leave your home, you got to leave your family a lot. We don't use the term gypsy anymore. Oh, you know, sorry. Um, anyway, a mendicant. My my point is that uh, I thought it would be really interesting to have maybe just sort of people that have low level magic that isn't that useful to become healers, and they set up a healer house. So you might have people that working there that have. Uh, cure light wounds or even cure light wounds at half f- f- uh, efficacy mm-hmm. and they, they can also couple it with um, some alchemy they make you know mustard packs and they can know how to splint or maybe, things maybe actual low tech medicine as just well really right. low tech medicine stuff you know um, so if your character gets hurt or whatever it'd be the equivalent of a hospital or a clinic that's in every town um, and maybe it's run by 
an ex-adventurer who can who can resurrect and restore. But for the most part, if you're if you're living in a fantasy magical world, magic is kind of everywhere. It's kind of what everybody uses all the time. You know what you've made? What have I made? A medieval urgent care center. Yes, (laughs) I have. And you can structure it any way you want. I mean, this could be a starting place for your little low-level healer character. Uh, I'm basically taking the religion out of it, because clerics are... Right, sure. Uh, you're only getting it from your god, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it so that, you know... And, and if your adventuring party comes into town with broken di- or disease, instead of waiting for the temple to open or tracking someone else down, there's like a clinic or a hospital that's right. full of healers that can deal with it for you. So I wanted to set that up as maybe, and it could be even in small towns and villages. There might be like a little clinic set up that has somebody that can just sort of cure wounds or whatever, and they help the farmers. Because again, I mean, living in medieval Renaissance times, people got stepped on by cattle and carts rolled over on them, or you know, they fell into a ditch and broke well, sure. their rest. Right. And so everybody needed healing to some extent. So healers would be very, very busy. And the, the, everybody's magic is everywhere. Nobody thinks like, oh my god, your magic. It's like, oh, another one. Right. But there might be various. Levels of intensity that people have it. Some people may not be magical enough to actually well, see, continue on to become a, a in, wizard. In GURPS, you buy levels of major. Yes, you right? do. Like, it used to be like three was the max you could buy. Yeah. And that meant you're a full blown mage, you can pr- cast pretty much any spell you can learn. Yes. And if you have major one, eh, there's some stuff you may not be able to exactly. do. Yeah. <clears throat> or uh, even, even in tweaking the rules a bit, maybe you have just enough magic to cast Cure Light Wounds at half effect. effect. Right, right. So you just you would roll like your light wounds and then have it. And so it's somebody there that has just enough magical power to cast the spell, and that's like kind of the only spell they know. You know, maybe a lay on hands, but it's not very good. And so they couple it with you know, bandages and splints. So instead of if you break your leg, they splint you up, cast cure light wounds at half effect fist, you wear the splint for a week. Right. As opposed to six months. Uh, something like that. So yes, it would be a non-denominational hospital clinic for healing. Excellent. And again, you could you could be a, a center point of the adventure, you know. People keep coming in poisoned. It could be a place where that your character is started in as a young child, they had the healing abilities and they decided they're you know what, I'm tired of being a healer and move on. It could be a place that perhaps you're assigned to by the the city state, you know, they they gather together people and they you know, spread them out right. and you know, it, it could be it could be um, a center point for all kinds of uh, uh, starting adventures or uh, of adventures, as well as you come into town all beat up. Everybody goes to the the healing house, gets uh, cure light wounds and uh, gets uh, cure disease and goes on their way. Right. Okay. Medieval urgent care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I cha- I'm not going to do the religion this time because I, I realize I'm stealing all of the prep that I'm was going to be using. That I am going to be using in the GURPS game, uh-huh. then I don't want to put it in because I've already right. talked about it. Right. So I'm not doing so the religion. I'm not doing that way. Right Oops. Okay. Um, <laughs> this was uh, the the field of titans, and this is a, a a large area where there, as far as anyone can tell, there's no s- civilization here. It's like a could be a big open valley someplace. It could be out in the steppes. It could be pretty much anywhere. But it's a big big open area that's where there's basically nothing. Right. Just a little bit of nature scattered around except for the fact that there are the tops of enormous stone heads sort of like easter island you know they easter mm-hmm. island they, the things are partially buried and they dig through and like oh look there's like a little dude but they're all lined up these are just these are like uh, like randomly placed in various levels in this and and and, and, and 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 like going by the the size of the heads 
if these are in fact full-bodied statues, they're at least a hundred meters tall. Okay, which is a little over three hundred feet in American. So, <laughs> but and people have gone out in, the, in this area and like, well, if there's these giant statues, there must have been a civilization that built them. That built them, right? They're under here somewhere. So there are people, sort of like a fantasy version of archaeologists, who go out there and it's like, how deep does the statue go? And we'll go out and try to excavate around them and get a bunch of people. It's extremely expensive, though, to hire a bunch of people to go out and like dig around a statue. And there may not be any payoff, so like people out of curiosity will come out and do it for a while. And like, well, yeah, we were able to get to... Uh you know, like mid shoulder, or maybe able to get to like you know where, where the abs start, <laughs> or whatever. But no well, one's ever been able to. to get but but are there full form bodies underneath them? It seems like there are. Uh-huh. There's a few of them that have been dug down, and they it never like they never hit like oh no they stop they stop digging or is they, they like, stop chiseling. Is, is the land? I don't know if you're typing this in. Is the land like volcanic glass or something, and it's just really hard to get through? No. No, but it's like this medieval. It's a medieval era, so it's, it's like it just takes a long time, and you got to pay people if you want them to come out and dig on this thing. And some of them might do it, and for for but if there's there's doesn't there's no payoff for it to be able to Other continue. Than the fact that you've excavated a just it's just curiosity. Thousand hundred foot tall golem. Who knows? Right, right. They might. They could be. They could just be statues of gods of some fallen civilization. No one really knows what they are. There's a bunch of them. There's probably a dozen or dozen and a half of them, all scattered about in an area. Might have been a vast city. If you dig down far enough, you might find that city. Who knows? But it's a bunch of heads. There might even be heads scattered throughout the land that isn't discovered yet. I, like the Olmec civilizations. Oh, like yeah. you, you like go through a forest and suddenly you find a head just sitting there, and you're like. What the fuck is this? this thing? Thing? <laughs> you start looking around, you realize that maybe there was a city here. Yeah, exactly. So that's mine. So there you go, and that's it. Yeah, we'll call it uh, this one. Yeah, look at that. Well, Thank you for joining us for season twenty-eight, episode seventeen of Happy Jack's Jeopardy podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork, and we'll see you next week at eight. Oh no, ten a.m. <laughs> Mike, don't make me get up that early. <laughs> I've been up since four. Um, uh, Happy Jacks.org slash live, Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. We'll see you the next time. Stay safe. Presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.